It's a gift to be with you in this way, friends. I realize you're likely looking at a screen and I'm pretty much staring at a camera, but I'm wondering if you'd be willing anyway on the count of three to speak aloud the Lenten theme Pillar has been holding the last month. Imagine yourself with hundreds of people all over the world ready. One, two, three, lay it down. Lay it down. It, it comes with an associated body posture, and an embodied prayer we're inviting you to hold. In a world that wants to clutch and grab and seize and take, the gospel invites you to open hands. A posture of receptivity, a posture of lay it down. Jesus is the one who said, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. The question we're inviting you to consider, what do you need to lay down? I've been really sort of surprised, actually, over the last month of Lent, the response people have offered to me to the question, what do you need to lay down? It seems like for most of us, if not all of us, the answer is right at the surface. So what do you need to lay down? Continue to wonder with us. I've asked my friend, Pastor Jenna, to help us today. Pastor Jenna, just to give you a little context, is the first female pastor in the 175-year history of this congregation, a, a significant mantle to carry, and she carries it with such grace and faithfulness. If you need someone to pray, Pastor Jenna prays. If you need someone to listen, Pastor Jenna listens. If you need someone to create space for you, Pastor Jenna does it unlike any other. She's a gift to our community. I've asked if she'd help me just for a little bit. I'm gonna ask a few questions from something called the Heidelberg Catechism. If you don't know what that is, that's okay. Most of us have spent a whole lot of our lives accidentally forgetting the Heidelberg Catechism. I'm gonna ask a few of the questions. She's gonna offer a few of the answers. Let's see how this goes. Jenna. What do you understand by the word Jesus suffered? That during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us body and soul from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. That is amazing. If you heard the word catechism and began to check out, let me draw you back in. Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the whole human race. We're swimming in some deep waters now. Listen to this question. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? So that he, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge and so free us from severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Did you hear that? So that he, though innocent, might free us. That's the direction we're gonna be moving this morning. Last question and then Jenna can get on with life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? By Christ's power, our old selves are crucified, put to death and buried in him so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but that instead we may offer ourselves as a sacrifice of gratitude to him. That's it. 
Christ crucified, died, and buried so that we ourselves may offer our lives as a sacrifice of gratitude to him. Pastor Jenna, thank you. Thank you. Very much. She just set the stage for us. She just set the table for us to hear most clearly this next moment in John's gospel. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and placed it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing this man out to you because I find no case against him. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, Here's the man. And when the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. And they said, we have a law. And according to that law, this man ought to die because he said he is the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, where do you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate said, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know? I have the power to release you or to crucify you. And Jesus said, you would have no power over me if it had not been given to you from above. For this reason, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. When Pilate heard this, he tried to release Jesus. But the Jews kept saying, if you release him, you're no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard this, he went out and sat down on the judge's bench called the stone pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about... It was about noon. Pilate said, look, here's your king. And they shouted, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And they said, we have no king but the emperor. Then Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16, if you want to find it in a Bible near you. I don't know about you, but you, ex you, you experience that exchange between Pilate and Jesus and the Jews, and you just kind of want to be quiet for a while. Still in the presence of the one who was willing to endure so much for us and for our salvation the catechism says Christ sustained in his body and soul the wrath of God against the whole human race. That's what's happening here. 
He, though innocent, set us free. That's what's taking place here. Christ crucified, died, and buried so that we ourselves might offer our lives a sacrifice of gratitude to him. That's what's going on here. Jesus says, I laid down my life in order to take it up again. There's a couple of pilot announcements I think we ought to spend some time with. One is so shockingly obvious it draws a curious attention, I think. The other is ironically sarcastic and begs our attention. First, Pilate says, here's the man, so obvious. And then Pilate says, here's your king, a bit sarcastic, I think. Pilate says, here's the man. He, he's insisted over and over and over again on Jesus' innocence. Three times in John's this, this, uh, this scene in John's gospel of the arrest and the trial, Pilate insists, I find no case against him. Pilate makes it clear he, the man's innocent. It doesn't stop him from beating him up a little bit. Pilate took him and had him flogged. He, he beat him with a whip or a stick. You can imagine Christ's back and body bloodied by the beating. The soldiers, they get in on it too, they, they wove a crown of thorns and placed it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Quite a way to treat a guy they seem to think is innocent. Pilate has Jesus come out. He's, he's wearing the, the thorns. He's, he's clothed in the robe. And Pilate says, so stunningly obvious, here's the man and on one level, on one level, it, it's just stating the obvious. It's, it's just what happened. Here's the guy. He's the one we've been talking about. He's the one you've been yelling about. He's the one we've been arguing about. Here's the man. But John's never, John the gospel writer, is never only operating on surface level. There's always a depth to what John is saying. There's always layers and levels to what John is saying. On one level, here he is. Here's the guy we've been talking about. But on a deeper level, here's the man. The representative of humanity, the way we were always meant to be, here he is. Here's the truest true. Here's the one. He, here's, he's inviting us to go all the way back to the beginning. Of course, John is inviting us back to the beginning. He begins his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John inviting us all the way back to the beginning to remember who we were meant to be, what we were created for. Here's the man. John keeps going, though. I want you to juxtapose with me what takes place in the original Garden of Eden and in this trial scene before Pilate. In the original garden, God makes the first man and the first woman, and they took and they seized and they grabbed and they clutched and they grasped the fruit, and the world was sent spiraling, spiraling in chaos, spiraling in brokenness, spiraling in sin. Now they hide from one another. They hide from God. Humanity disguised. Humanity hidden behind its full potential. Humanity no longer the best expression of itself, but hiding now, and God curses the serpent, and God curses the woman, and God curses the man. And this is what he says to the man. Notice the juxtaposition now. To the man, God said, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall labor over it all the days of your life. And ready for this? What does it produce? What does the ground produce in that garden? Thorns and thistles it shall produce for you. And what is Jesus wearing as he stands there before Pilate? 
they wove a crown of thorns and placed it on his head. By the sweat of your brow, back to the Garden of Eden, by the sweat of your brow, you shall eat bread. And what does Jesus break with his disciples at that table on the night? He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it and gave it to them. The scene continues. God, after the curse, sees the man and the woman in the shame of their nakedness, and God clothed them with garments of skins. And what do the soldiers do to Jesus? They clothe him in a purple robe. What John is announcing for those who have an ear to ear, Jesus is going all the way back to the beginning. He's going all the way back to the tragedy, to the scene of the crime. He's rewriting the script. He's re-narrating our lives, no longer defined by the sin, shame, and brokenness that so often wreaks its habit on our lives, but now opening us to a future to be what we were always intended to be. Here's the man. Christ doing for us what we can't, won't, and don't do for ourselves. Opening us to the possibility we could live full, whole, flourishing lives because Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ is raised from the dead so that we can be the full, flourishing humans God always meant for us to be. He, though innocent, might set us free. Uh, St. Augustine preached a sermon on Christmas Day. Hope you don't mind a little Christmas sermon during the season of Lent. He, the bread, might hunger. He the fountain might thirst. He the light might sleep. He the way might be wearied by the journey. He the truth might be accused by false witnesses. He the judge of the living and the dead might be brought to trial by a mortal judge. He justice might be condemned by the unjust. He discipline might be scourged with whips. He the foundation might be suspended upon a cross. Courage might be weakened. Healer might be wounded. Life might die. Life might die. I lay down my life in order to take it up again. He does for us what we can't do for ourselves so that we can be the full, whole, flourishing humans we were always meant to be from the beginning. Here's the man. Pilate says. And then he says, here's your king. Sarcastic, I think. Jesus, bruised, bloodied, the purple cloth, clinging to his sweat, sweaty body, the thorns, the mocking, the striking on the face, not basically the antithesis of what we think of as king, the antithesis of what we see as power. Here's your king, he says, mockingly. Rome, mocking Jewish religion, no one realizes he who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. Jesus stands there innocent. And the Jews, the Jews keep pressing. The chief priests keep pressing. Pilate says, here's your king. They say, crucify him. Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And they say, in the moment sin reaches its climax, we have no king but the emperor. The ultimate betrayal, the ultimate denial. We have no king but the emperor, the first creed of the Jewish faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And here they are on that day. 
We have no king but the emperor. Jesus standing there innocent. The Jews standing there now representative of all of humankind where, where disguised humanity and broken humanity reaches its final conclusion. Sin reaching its in, intended consequence. The denial and betrayal of God himself. We have no king but the emperor. Not just, again, John working so many layers, not just what they said, it's what they said, and much more deeply, they're representing all of humankind, which always, because broken and disguised behind our own shame and sin, always ends in seeking our own selves, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. We have no king but the emperor. It's an invitation for us to be honest with ourselves about our own sin. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to judge. I'm not trying to make this awkward. But you got to be honest with yourself about your own sin. I mean, we're, we, we're, we're willing to use the word broken. And it's true. Clearly, it's true. We're broken. But that, that's not the full extent. It's not just like a broken engine you got to bring to the mechanic to swip, swap out a few parts. It's about the engine has died. You need a whole new car. We're willing to, to confess to one, one another. No one's really perfect, which is the shockingly obvious statement, which minimizes the condition. It strikes me odd. We live in this cultural moment that so values and prioritizes authenticity and vulnerability, and transparency, and yet we're so unwilling to be honest about what's most obvious, sin. If you think I'm pushing too hard, read any local newspaper if you still read the newspaper. Hop on any website and you'll see it. Take a look at the devastation in Ukraine or the complicated and sad exchange at the Oscars, or even just a little while, take, take inventory of your own interior life, sin, and I'm not trying to be mean and I'm not trying to be harsh and I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm, but when we minimize the, the state of our condition, we minimize the consequence of Christ's life and death. It's not about making you feel bad. It's about beholding the beauty of what he's done for us. Jesus stands there, the man, the representative of humanity, what we were always intended to be. The chief priests stand there, the expression of the final culmination of what sin intends. Here's your king. Jesus is not one of the king's horses and one of the king's men trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. He is the king who intends to redeem your whole life. He's not like erasing a permanent marker on the whiteboard of your life. He's giving you a whole new life. He's not swapping out a few parts in an otherwise broken down engine. He's giving you a whole new car. Here's your king. I love these words, this image that C.S. Lewis provides. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on the extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. You thought... 
You are being built into a decent little cottage. He's building a palace. It's not just tinkering around, fixing a few broken parts. It's making you new. Here's your king. So what do you need to lay down? Stop with the website. Stop with the gossip. Stop with the racism that wreaks its havoc on so many lives and so many communities. Here's your king. Stop with the deep bitterness that shows up in all of its broken ways. Stop hiding behind the shame. Stop going the way of fallen flesh. Here's your king. He intends to make you new. I'll give the last word to Tim Keller. It's like the grand finale at a fireworks show. The gospel of justifying faith means that while Christians are in themselves still sinful and sinning, yet in Christ, in God's sight, they are accepted and righteous. So we can say that we're more wicked than we ever dared believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope at the very same time. This creates a radical new dynamic for personal growth. It means that the more you see your own flaws and sins, the more precious, electrifying, and amazing God's grace appears to you. But on the other hand, the more aware you are of God's grace and acceptance in Christ, the more able you are to drop your denials and self-defenses and admit the true dimensions and character of your sin. Here's your king. There's this stunning scene. There's, there's this grammatical confusion in, in John's gospel. It says, then Pilate came out and sat down on the judge's bench called the stone pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha, the grammatical confusion, it, it actually could also read, then Pilate came out and sat him down, sat Jesus down on the judge's bench called the stone pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha, Jesus sitting on the judge's seat. Whether, whether you want to make that the case or not, he's still standing there in judgment of all the way sins wreaks its havoc on our lives in order to free us for the much better reality of his beauty and grace. This is why we say, who's in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us, rose for us, reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. To be honest about our condition is not to make ourselves feel bad, carry a burden you can't hold, but to open our eyes to the beauty and the glory of Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. I, I, Jonathan, the ensemble, they're gonna lead us in just a moment of reflection. I want you to consider what do you need to lay down in order that Christ might take up your life again? And then we'll be invited to the table.